As a long-time foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Episode 220. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange... The bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. After five weeks of self-isolation or self-isolation, if yes. you prefer, yeah. um, I've heard it both ways. I've I've noticed that my mind is doing weird things. Oh, you know, it's almost like some sort of a sensory deprivation type of deal like starting fires no i mean like i'm thinking of things to do trying to create new things in my mind that i can do that will amuse me (laughs) and last night last night i was drifting off to sleep and now i'm dreaming ideas oh okay I, i was actually drifting off to sleep and i dreamed that i should create an impromptu scavenger hunt um by hiding your tampons you know how i love a scavenger hunt yeah but not hunting for things that I need. I thought that I'd put them in the freezer. You'd never find them there. And they also would fit perfectly in those little popsicle boxes that that's we have. That's true. Yeah. yeah. So that's where my mind has been going. Oh, good. Uh, trying to create scenarios like that. Well, I think I told you when we were without power last week, because we had a huge uh, snowstorm um, in April. Anyway, and I went to turn on the uh, stove and it it wouldn't turn on because it's one of those tick 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 ones you know mm, right and um so then i was like okay well i'll get a match and then i couldn't light the match so i was like oh that's okay i'll just turn on the other burner you know and my brain was just like oh no that's t- that's fine that's fine i can't tell you how many times i flicked on the light switch and went damn it <laughs> fortunately we did get power back we're, we're doing well we hope you are too it's been five weeks for us i, I was just counting it up we've been here in the house to together for five weeks overall i think the lesson that i've learned is we use a shit ton of dishes (laughs) like how is this possible how is it that it's just two of us and yet every day the sink is full of dishes i I don't understand it either because um i was gonna say we are constantly doing dishes but it's been you lately (laughs) you get up a little bit before me and you're out there loading the dishwasher the dishwasher's loaded twice a day and yet there are always dishes in the sink we're way overeating i don't know what's wrong with us 
Anyway, let's get to it. I'm going first today, and I've got kind of an interesting uh, story I wanted to share with you. Oh, I hope so. Otherwise, it's one straight to the gullet for you. I so look forward to doing these episodes because (laughs) it gives my life purpose at this point. When you're considering hiding your wife's tampons as amusement, um, that's how far it's gone. Well, I'm glad that you have this because for me, you are my life's purpose. So I don't need anything else in my life. God, you're so gross. No, no, no. In the early 1700s, in a small village outside of Belfast in Northern Ireland, a strange occurrence took place. It was so strange that the locals still talk about it today. Ooh. It's the story of a woman whose name was Marjorie McCall, which is kind of a fancy name, really. I like it. Marjorie was married to a guy named John, John McCall. He was the local village doctor. They lived on the outskirts of of this small village. It was called Church Place in Lurgan. And from what we know, from the stories that have been handed down over the generations, they were a very uh, happy couple. They'd been married for several years. They were raising a small family. They had a couple of kids. Marjorie would spend her days uh, taking care of the homestead while John worked as a doctor. Okay. And he often traveled great distances. That was kind of how it worked back then. When you were a doctor to practice medicine, you traveled great distances. Right. You didn't have an office in town. He would often, often be gone for days, several days at a time. It wasn't uncommon for John to be gone. Okay. Now, this was a time when illness and disease ran wild over the population. There was a little known about the importance of cleanliness. Right. There were many false beliefs that led to further spreading of disease. Of course. Uh, in these days, if a person became ill, they'd often just go about their business as usual. They didn't understand that they were infecting others. Right. They they didn't know that they needed to stay home in order to keep the right. diseases from spreading. Right. <clears throat> Now, you add in densely populated areas and that uh, they didn't really have medical knowledge to treat patients, you can start to see why so many people died from illness. And uh, illnesses we don't think twice about today. Just common colds would develop into pneumonia and that would kill people. Yeah. Well, I've thought before about um, how amazing antibiotics are Mm. and, and what we can treat so easily and so quickly with antibiotics that, like, I'm pretty sure any urinary tract infection that I've ever had would have taken me out (laughs) A hundred years ago uh, because, oh, that's painful. But it's no big deal now with with antibiotics. No. Best thing that's ever happened. Things have changed so much in just a generation or two. Mm. I remember my mom telling me when I was really young about the uh, polio epidemic Mm -hmm. during her childhood and that uh, they believed that uh, you could get it from dust. It was in the air. And she said she remembered very clearly her parents, my grandparents, driving out to their lake cottage. And she was holding a popsicle outside the car window. And they told her not to do that because she would get polio. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, you should not do that. That's gross. But maybe not polio. No. So in April of 1705, John had been on a lengthy trip. Okay. Doing his doctoring. And he returns to find Marjorie was not well. Now, disease was sweeping the countryside at the time, and she had fallen ill while John was away. Okay. And since she was alone and they were in a fairly isolated area, 
She had no way of getting assistance. Probably, you know, there wasn't very good cell reception mm. at the time. Sure. Uh, her illness had progressed greatly. Not with all these 5G towers being burned down. See, that's where the story's going, is that those 5G towers in the um, early 1700s caused this <laughs> pandemic. <laughs> Any hoozle, uh, Marjorie wasn't well. John was overcome with guilt because he had been on the road for days and days. Right. And he was also extremely worried. Again, in the uh, early 1700s, many diseases that we consider minor today could be fatal. And uh, there were a lot of, you know, small, what we would consider today, small ailments like a common cold that uh, were kind of lumped into one category. They just called it, quote, the fever. Got it. She's got the fever. That, to me, sounds like she's got to go dancing or something. (laughs) Yeah, it's like an old Motown record. Right? She's got the fever. Marjorie suffered for days. At times, she was delirious from the fever. Other times, barely conscious. John stayed at her side throughout her entire illness, of course, never leaving for more than just a few minutes. He was a very dedicated husband. Even though John was a doctor and he tried everything that he knew how to do, Medical science really wasn't progressed enough to to deal with what he was what he was faced with. It just wasn't enough. Marjorie succumbed to her bout of fever. Aww. A small funeral was held, and she was buried in Shankill Church of Ireland Cemetery, which was not too far from from her home in Church Place which again is outside of Belfast. Now she was buried pretty hastily because they didn't, they were fearful that the fever would spread. Right. So they understood to a degree that they needed to put the body in the ground, but I don't think they understood what was causing the spread. Well, obviously they didn't bacteria virus. So they put her in the ground and, and you'd think that that would be the end of the story. You would think so. Yes. One would think that. However, She was to become one of the most famous women in Lurgan and is still talked about today. It seems that there was uh, a lot of commotion at the wake concerning a valuable ring that Marjorie had on her finger. And she was buried with it? They didn't want to bury her with it. It was a gold wedding ring that John had given her. He tried to remove it from her finger, but her hands had become so swollen after death that it it wouldn't come off. There was a great concern that if they could not get the ring off of Marjorie's finger, that her grave would be targeted by resurrection men, grave robbers. And that's why they did the the cages over some graves. Yeah. To prevent grave robbing. Yeah, there was also an invention, I think it was toward the 1800s, that actually had some sort of a of a gun attached. That's right. To the inside, and if you opened the lid, it would shoot you in the face. I remember a very early episode that you did where you yeah. talked about some of those uh, preventive measures. Yeah, there was also one where they had a bell attached to the tombstone with a string that would go down inside. Well, that's in case you were still alive. If you were still alive, you could uh, alert people. But what they didn't take into consideration is that the wind would blow the bells, and so they were constantly... <laughs> Constantly digging people up and getting shot in the face. (laughs) Anyway, they didn't want grave robbers desecrating Marjorie's resting place in order to steal this valuable ring. And they weren't willing to, like, lob off her finger. I I think that would have been considered disrespectful. All right. Uh, Many of the mourners tried in vain to pull the ring off her fingers. It didn't take long before uh, news of the treasure leaked out to the resurrectionists. 
And they saw this as an opportunity to increase their net worth a little bit. So they had this wake. And for those of you who aren't familiar with what an Irish wake is, it's traditionally an attempt to avoid, it was anyway, to avoid premature burial as the family of the deceased would sit and watch over the body for a few days in case they wake. They awakened. So after the wake, Marjorie was interred in the Shankill graveyard. That very evening, before the soil had even settled on Marjorie's coffin, the grave robbers struck. Working under the cover of darkness, they scraped and they shoveled the dirt away until they finally reached the coffin. She had only been in the ground for hours at this point. Mm -hmm. Using the shovel, they broke open the coffin lid. Inside laid the body of Marjorie. And true to the, the rumor that the resurrectionists had heard, she still had the ring on her finger. Now, this was a big score for grave robbers because not only could they sell her body to the medical school, uh-huh. but uh, they would also gain the ring. Uh-huh. What? I don't know. I'm just, I'm, I've got some ideas about where this might be going. All right. Very excited. Before they removed the body, they attempted to remove the valuable ring. It wouldn't budge. So being entrepreneurially minded resurrection men, uh, they weren't about to allow this ring to make its way to a surgeon's lab. Right. And since she was she was pretty much dead, they agreed to cut off her finger and free the ring. That was my idea. So one of the grave robbers produced a knife and proceeded to attempt to cut the finger off. As soon as blood was drawn from Marjorie, her eyes shot open. Yes! She sat bolt upright (laughs) and let loose a blood-curdling scream that echoed across the cemetery and the surrounding fields. Marjorie had revived from a coma-like state, or as they called it in those days, a swoon, Mm. that she had fallen into. I would have shit my pants. And there are differing reports as to the fate of the body snatchers. My guess is, you know, they did shit their pants. Right. One report said that uh, one of the men dropped dead on the spot from fright. Another report said they both ran for their lives never to rob another grave. I think that that would, uh, would cure me of grave robbing. Probably, yeah. Regardless, it's, it's pretty certain that uh, neither one of them forgot that little adventure. So there Marjorie was. Lying in a freshly opened grave with a bloody finger and not knowing what the hell went on. So she pulls herself out of the grave, climbing over the mound of freshly shoveled dirt. And she lay there on the ground in the cemetery for a short time, trying to gather her bearings and figure out what the hell was going on. (laughs) Finally, she pulled herself to her feet, recognized where she was and stumbled the short distance to her home. Oh, girl. (laughs) That's going to be awkward. (laughs) Now at home, her husband, you know, keep in mind, they just buried her. Right. So he had taken another wife. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it had been ours. Man's going to do what a man's going to do. These were different times. At the house, John, her husband, was sitting there with their children and other relatives mourning the passing of his wife and toasting her journey to a better place. Suddenly there was a knock at the door. And according to reports, John looked at his children and said, if your mother were still alive, I'd swear that was her knock. Oh, I think that's sweet that he would know her knock. 
I wonder why she would knock at her own house. But again, maybe that was just, maybe the door was locked. Maybe. Yeah. I would imagine it was. It was nighttime. Although here in Maine, we never lock our doors regardless of the time. In fact, a lot of people just leave the keys in their car when they run into the store. Especially in the winter, they'll leave it running. So it, you know. It... Well, yeah, that's just so you don't die. <laughs> so John gets up. We lock our doors, though. Locked sturdy. That's right. And there are alarms. Yeah, we're an exception. <laughs> don't, don't try to break into our house. There's nothing here you'd be interested in anyway. That's a good point. <laughs> you could do our dishes. That would be nice. That would be nice. So John gets up and he goes over to the door. And sure enough, when he opened it, he was staring his late wife in the face. She was dressed in her burial clothes. She was dripping from her almost severed finger, but very much alive. Now, they they know that this kind of thing happens, that sometimes people are buried alive. Yes. So, but still, it's got to be pretty unnerving. Yeah, I would think so. Especially since they had had the wake, which yeah. did not serve its purpose. No, for several days, she just lay there and, well, anyway. The response that John had is disputed, but most tellings of this story agree that he dropped dead on the floor. No! That he died from fright. There's an awful lot of dropping dead, yeah. dying from fright in well, this story. Well, it was the early 1700s. What are they, rabbits? Marjorie was alive and relatively well, but now John was dead. And he was buried in the plot that had recently been vacated. They buried him in her plot. Well, that's not a fun story. I'm not done yet. Oh. It gets less fun. Oh. Shortly after she returned, she gave birth to another child. Oh, my gosh. It was rumored that she left the grave pregnant by, quote, an unspecified suitor. Many say Marjorie had been lonely all those nights her husband was away. Others say the child looked remarkably like one of the grave robbers. Apparently, he was doing more than cutting off her finger. I don't buy it. I think that that sounds like sensationalism to me. I wanted it to sound like sensationalism. Oh, okay. Marjorie went on to remarry and have several more children. When she did finally die for good, she was returned to the Shankiel graveyard. And to this day, her gravestone still stands. It's still there. Oh, wow. And it bears the inscription, Marjorie McCall lived once, buried twice. Wow. <laughs> and she's still remembered by the town people of Lurgan today. Um, it's also said that on occasion she can be seen wandering around the Shankill Cemetery, perhaps looking for those who wronged her. <laughs> I've got a picture of her gravestone. Oh, yes, yeah. please. Could we go see it? I would love that. Okay. I got most of my information from LurganAncestry.com and the BBC. So what do you think? Do you think that uh, she was pregnant by her husband and just didn't know? I do. Okay, that's what you want to believe. Well, I I mean, when did she give birth? Nine months later? Was the, I mean, I don't, the timeline yeah. is real janky yeah, there. It is. It just said shortly after she returned, she gave she gave birth. Now, if well, if it was shortly after, then. It doesn't make any sense that it would have been the grave robbers. It depends on what your definition of shortly is. Well, I suppose that's always the case. On the cosmic calendar, mm -hmm. it is 1259, you know. <laughs> Wait, 1159. Thank Shit. You. Thank you, Carl Sagan. <laughs> no, I'm just wondering if, you know, they dug her up. You know, she'd only been in the ground for a few hours. And, you know, one of the guys goes, you know, we can sell her body, make a little money. 
we can take the ring and make a little money. And you know what? She doesn't look that bad. Well, I mean, I suppose that's a possibility. But wouldn't you try to get the ring before you, like, tried to get it, you know, like, you know. Time's a wasting, baby. I guess. I suppose. I don't know. But then all of a sudden it changes from a fun necrophilia story to a really unhappy rape story. So Okay, you... that's true. Because she wasn't dead. That's right. So technically it's not necrophilia. Yeah. It's rape. Yeah. Yeah. So now you've made it weird. Great. I have to think about this for a while. Anyway, don't sleep with corpses because you don't know if they're dead for sure. That's right. the point okay. of this story. All right. Is that your point? That's Was my... that your point? It is now. Good day, madam. Good day. And now, that thing in the middle. I found this on Listverse. British places with hilariously rude names. I love it. Number five, Bitchfield. It's an English village located in the uh, county of Lincolnshire. Bitchfield. Number four, Crapstone. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Number three, Townland of Strangle a Willy. Oh. There's a lot of Strangle a Willying going on right now with this, you know, self isolation. Yeah, right. Yeah. That's what I was getting at. Number two, the village of Muff. <laughs> And number one, Broken Wind. <laughs> it's a small hamlet in the county of Aberdeenshire. Broken Wind. <laughs> Do you remember Spinal Tap's album, Break Like the Wind? It was their follow-up. Was that it was the follow-up follow to Sniff the Glove? Sniff the Glove, yeah. The Box of Oddities with Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. You know, as your kids get older, there are some things about parenting that gets easier. I remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece, if you put your pants on, I'll give you some Fresca. And when kids can start to reason that they get something if they do something right, it's a lot easier to manage them. Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings. While kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. When I was a kid, I had expected chores, and then I had bonus chores. And bonus chores were where I earned money. And so if you're thinking like, hey, my kids should be doing stuff around the house. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. But maybe there's extra ways that they can learn how to be a successful financial money person. What was one of the bonus chores that you had to do? <sighs> Rub my mom's feet. And what did that pay? I don't know, like a quarter or something. Millions of parents and kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash oddities. I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our aura frame, the more I love it. I have kids, 
and they live about 3,000 miles away. And my daughter is expecting a child, and she has been sending me updates on her baby bump through the aura frame. And since I can't be there to experience it with her, it's the next best thing. And speaking of mothers, if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life, Aura Frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames. It allows you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the Aura app. And here's the thing, if you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura Frames and living so far away from family, thanks to Aura, it's the next best thing. It's like, it's like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Oddities freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code Oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com and use code Oddities at checkout and you will save thanks aura frames for bringing my family a little bit closer hey there i'm dylan lewis one of the hosts of motley full money each weekday on motley full money we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on wall street on weekends we dive into the industries shaping tomorrow and host the experts authors and executives that understand them tune in for insights a long-term perspective on investing and of course stock ideas plenty of them to quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. The Box of Oddities. It's not for everyone. We got an email from Sarah McGowan. She writes, I am a huge fan of your podcast and you guys are my freak couple goals. I know this is a scary time for all of us. So I wanted to share something with you that might make you smile. I love whenever Kat says that something gives her, quote, big feelings. So when I went to write a love song after I met my boyfriend, the only words that came to mind were big feelings. She sent a link to the song so we could listen to it. And it is amazing. She yeah. says, keep up the great work, you beautiful freaks. So we thought we'd play a clip of it. You're giving me It's kind of a, it's an appropriate message for right now. It's just, yeah, everything's going to be okay. Yeah. I feel good again. I love it. That's kind of a Taylor Swift vibe to it, doesn't it? It kind of does. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Sarah McGowan. If you want to hear the entire song, we'll tack it on the end of this uh, episode. Sarah McGowan, who, uh, what, what does her profile say on Instagram? I was laughing about it last night. What did it say? A singer, songwriter, producer, cat enthusiast. <laughs> With a K? No. Oh, okay. Just wondering. <laughs> what you got for me? Oh, okay. Well, I am taking a chance here, but I just thought this story was worth sharing. Um, I'm going to work my best to get through it. Um, and I believe that together we can. We're all in this together, baby. <clears throat> okay. That's what I'm hearing. 
Hidesaburo Ueno. He was a Japanese agricultural scientist, and he graduated from Tokyo Imperial University from their agricultural department. And the same year, he entered a graduate school to study agricultural engineering and farm implement research. He finished his graduate work in July of 1900 and began teaching at the Tokyo Imperial University as an assistant professor. In 1902, he became an associate professor in Agricultural University. He lived in the Shibuya neighborhood of Tokyo with Yeiko Sakeno, his partner. There are some differing versions to this part of the story, but according to nerdnomads.com, he had long wanted a Japanese Akita dog. Akitas are beautiful, known to be very smart and strong dogs, as well as loyal. Uh, they were deemed in Japan as guardians of the emperor. So he had looked for the perfect Akita puppy for some time. And to help him, one of his students, Hirokishi Seto, did some research and found that only 30 purebred Akitas remained in Japan. So this student occur encouraged him to adopt a pup from the Odate city in the Akita prefecture in Japan. So he went, he got this dog and brought him to live with them. And he named this dog Hachiko. They also called him Hachi. It became his nickname pretty quickly. And the man and this dog became the best of friends. Now, this, this type of dog, what does it look like? I'm not familiar with that, that breed. Akita, um, it kind of looks like a big Shiba Inu. Fluffy, kind of like a chow. Okay, I've got the mental picture in my okay. head now. Super handsome dogs. Love them. So... Heitzaburo had never fathered any children, and he loved this dog. Um, Hachi became his constant companion. The two of them were inseparable. And the pair followed the same routine every day. Every morning, Hachi would accompany Heitzaburo on his long walk to the Shibayu train station in central Tokyo when his friend was on his way to work. And then Hachiko would come back to the station in the afternoon to greet him and pick him up, and they would walk back to the home together. So would the dog go home or just wait for him at the train station? He would go home or tootle about. Tootle about. Wow. But every day at 3 p.m., he was back at the train station <laughs> to meet his owner, and they would walk back home together. Aww. Yeah, it's pretty sweet. Every day after his classes, Hatsuburo would take the train back to the station, Hachi would meet him there, and they would walk back home together. And the dog knew exactly where to go. Yes, exactly where to go and what time to be there. That's so awesome. It's pretty adorable. We don't deserve dogs. Can I just say that? Truth. So every day at 3 p.m. on the dot, Hachi would meet Hatsaburo, and they would walk home together. Now, after two years of this routine, on May 21st, 1925, Hachiko came to the station, as he always did, and waited for his companion. This sounds like a smart dog, but was the dog able to read, like, train schedules? How did he know what train to meet or what part <laughs> just, of the terminal to go to? He just knew where to go, like, where they went. Like, was, was it a different platform than... Okay, so, so the guy gets on a train, let's say it's platform A. Mm -hmm. Did he get off on platform A or was it platform D? I'm not sure. They, it was just always the same place. And, and the dog knew instinctively where to go. The same place, the same time. That's crazy. Every day. So on this day, May 21st, Hudsaburo did not get off the train. Uh-oh. He had suffered a 
cerebral hemorrhage and died suddenly while at work. Oh, no. After that, Hatsuburo's widowed lady, they weren't technically married. They were they were unmarried, but mm. they had lived together for like 10 years at this point. Um, he, she was unable to provide adequate care um, and gave Hachi to a former gardener of theirs whose name was Kobayashi. Hachi enjoyed his new home. He loved his new family. Um, despite this disruption to his routine, Hachi returned the next day to the train station at three o'clock. Oh, no. Hoping that... <clears throat> hoping that Hadzaburo would be there to meet him. Of course, the professor was not there. Um, so eventually, Hachi went home. Uh, but the next day, at 3 p.m., Hachi made his way to the train station. And the day after that. No. And the day after that. Oh, no. Eventually, the dog being alone at the train station every day began to draw the attention of other commuters. This is all that's... Uh, this is according to all that's interesting.com. At first, the station workers were not very friendly to the dog. They were concerned because they thought he was a stray dog and they didn't want this rando dog hanging out with the commuters and such, so they would try to shoo him away. Sure. But over time, of this dog showing up at the same time, at the same place every single day, people started to watch out for him. Even the station employees would bring him treats. And sometimes they would sit and keep him company while he waited for his friend. This is so sad. People started calling him Chuken Hachiko, which means Hachiko, the faithful dog. One of the professor's former students, who happened to be an expert of the Akita breed, got wind of this routine. And he decided that he would take the train to Shibuya to see for himself if the professor's dog would still be waiting. When he arrived, he saw Hachi there, as usual, and he followed the dog from the station to the home of the, the former gardener, Kobayashi, and they discussed this dog's routine hmm. and how every day he would do the exact same thing and go and wait for his friend. How long had it been? At this point, unsure. But in 1932, one of the articles written by this student was published in the National Daily newspaper, and Hachi's tale spread throughout Japan. He quickly found nationwide fame, and people from all over the country were coming to the train station at 3 o'clock to see Hachi. Oh. He became a national symbol of loyalty and kind of a good luck charm. Like, he was something to be appreciated. Even as the years went by, he did not let old age or arthritis interrupt his routine. And nearly 10 years after his friend's death, he still returned to the station every day to wait. Oh, my God. 10 years. 10 years. Whoa. On March 8, 1935, Hachi was found dead in uh, the streets of Shibuya at the age of 11, and his passing made national headlines. He was, uh, for the most part, cremated, and his ashes were placed next to Hyde Saburo's, his best friend's mm. grave in Tokyo. The man and his loyal dog had finally reunited. Oh. They did 
perform a taxidermy with his fur, and he was stuffed and mounted and is now housed at the National Museum of Nature and Science in Tokyo. And Hachiko was such a story that um, everyone in Tokyo knew of it. And when he passed, there was a significant outpouring of support. When the professor's partner, Yakeo, died in 1961, uh, despite her requests to be buried with her late partner, she was buried at a temple uh, further away from Haidsaburo's grave. But in 2016, during a ceremony, her remains were buried with Haidsaburo's and Hachi's, so the family was together again. Oh. Was there any reason cited why her final wishes were not carried out? I have no idea. Wow. Maybe because they weren't technically married? Hmm. I'm not sure. On the wall of the Shibayu station, there is a huge, beautiful mosaic artwork of Hachi there. And to commemorate 90 years of his passing, the University of Tokyo, where Haidsaburo gave his lectures and died, they built a bronze statue of Mr. Ueno with Hachi. Mm. The statue stands just outside the main entrance, representing their long-awaited reunion. And uh, you can see that the, the artist really did a great job of um, representing happiness. Mm. Uh, like, they're, you know how statue eyes can be kind of weird sometimes? Mm. Oh, yeah. They're actually done really well. And it's, it's a beautiful way to remember their, their story. And thousands of people come to visit Hachi's statue every year. Uh, there's also a Hachi museum that can be visited that I would very much like to go see. Thank you. Enjoy your day. What a wonderful portrait of friendship and loyalty and love. We can learn so much from dogs. Right. There's a reason why nearly a century later, people are still going to visit the statue and celebrate this relationship yeah. to the level that they do. That's a beautiful story. I mean, it's sad and tragic and fuck you for that. But um, <laughs> but yes, it's a good reminder. We should be nice to each other. Yep. Yep. Okay. We're going to wrap this up because Kat's tearing up. No, I'm not. And understandably so... We love hanging out with you guys. We appreciate the fact that you do spend the time with us. If you have a moment to give us a review on iTunes or Spotify, 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 or what? Are you, my mom, <laughs> Netflix, or wherever <laughs> you happen to no, <laughs> wherever you listen to us, that it helps us grow the show and. Um, it uh, is greatly appreciated. Oh, and also, don't forget at the end of the episode, we'll put uh, Sarah McGowan's song in full if you want to hear the whole thing. She did a great job. Definitely check her out on Instagram and Facebook and all that. Um, we really appreciate her reaching out and uh, love the song. We'll see you next time. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. And fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that the box of oddities belongs to you its fate is in your hands. Therefore, it's been requested by those to whom I report to beseech you for assistance. We ask but one thing of you, to provide a five-star rating and a positive review. True, that is two things. However, tis merely a five-star rating and a positive review. Also, subscribe to us. Okay, so three things is all we ask. Three things and three things only. Henceforth, the Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. 
We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com Copyright 2020 All Rights Reserved If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? 
It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts. Do you love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlwood, your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books, as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.